there seems to be a common understanding these days that sin is something which bad people do. And the majority of people aren't bad, so therefore sin must be an anomaly. It's the outlying behavior. And so we end up with this logic which basically says that if something, some sort of behavior is common, therefore it must be normal. And if it's normal, then it must be moral. And so we end up with almost this democratic view of morality. You know, as long as the majority of people says that it's okay, then it's okay. Now, this is an idea which basically was created about 100 years ago almost. Uh, one of the, the fathers of the sexual revolution, a guy by the name of Alfred Kinsey, really promoted this idea when he was trying to change the whole world its understandings of sexuality. And he basically tried to show that if he could prove statistically that certain behaviors were more common than we thought they were, then we would have to acknowledge that they are normal behaviors and that there was nothing wrong with them. Now, of course, he fudged his scientific research quite significantly because he was trying to prove a point that he wanted to prove. And I think it has set up something of where our society has gone to, that we have firmly held to this idea that everything is okay. We just need to adjust the statistics to prove that everything's okay. And so we turn a blind eye to the fact that certain behaviors are very clearly leading to disastrous results because somehow we are caught up in those behaviors and we don't want to be labeled as being bad. Now, I think that's an important starting point when we start discussing discipleship. Because the basic question is, why do we need to follow Jesus? If everyone is good, then surely that means everyone's going to heaven. Why do we need to do anything different? So maybe we need to burst the bubble a little bit and just very clearly realize that this is not the way the universe works. God did not leave it up to humanity to create the rule book. If that was the case, uh, life would have been a whole lot easier and it probably would have ended a whole lot sooner than it has. If it was left up to us to decide what was right and wrong, then only the powerful would have survived. And that's Sadly, I think the direction that our society is going to. We have thrown away the commandments. We have decided that we don't need to follow Jesus. If anything, there is a whole culture within our church which is trying to re-examine the Gospels and reinterpret Jesus according to our culture. You see, we, we end up imposing our cultural framework or our cultural morality onto Jesus. And we use very much this idea that Alfred Kinsey created. If it's common, then it's normal. If it's normal, then there can't be anything wrong with it. So surely Jesus isn't as concerned about sexuality as the church is. It's just because the church is filled with a bunch of celibate old men who are sexually repressed. Surely he, he understands what people are going through and he doesn't care. 
surely Jesus didn't really care about what you do with your money. Your money is your own. You should be able to use it for yourself. You know, we, we end up creating a God in our image and likeness. We need to really face the fact that if we are called to become disciples, we need to see that Jesus is calling us out of our culture, out of every culture, because every culture has elements which are in line with God's vision and other elements which are opposed or in conflict to the vision of God. Every culture needs to be purified. Every culture needs to be redeemed. And so when Jesus called the disciples and said, come follow me, it was a radical call because he was saying to them, I want you to think differently to the way everyone around you thinks. I want you to now start to live a life which is countercultural, a life which is going to lead to all sorts of conflict because you are now going to stand apart from the rest of the world. This world that will now start to persecute you because you don't agree with the things that they agree with. In the first letter of John, he, he puts this in a very stark contrast where he says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of riches, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires are passing away, but those who do the will of God live forever. Now what John is saying there is really a deep challenge, I suppose, to a worldview which sees that we only live for the moment, and basically we're like animals. We should live like animals. We should allow our animal desires to run, run riot compared to the call of Christ, which says you are, you are called to live for eternity. And that call of Christ, which is trying to draw out from within us our true identity, that heaven is our homeland, that we are called to live in a divine way, with a divine love. Now, John, John identifies there very clearly what is the battle that lies before us. He uses the term, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of riches. You know, many hundreds of years later, the famous psychologist Sigmund Freud would use his own way of describing it, where he would say, the three basic desires of the human heart are for sex, money, and power. Now, what he was saying, the church had known for centuries, that Within us, there are these three dominant desires which are given to us by God, but they are very much in need of redemption. You know, when we talk about this idea of the, the effect of original sin, concupiscence, this, this force within us that is always going to turn inwards and somehow damage everything. It's very much in these three areas that we see the effect of original sin. You know, in our sexuality, something which is meant to draw us so close to God and be almost like a, like a revelation of what divine love is, and yet it turns inwards into something so toxic and so destructive in many relationships. In the same way, with God's provision, 
you know, God giving the whole of creation for us, and yet it turns inwards and becomes about this, this greed, this avarice, which once again destroys so many relationships. And once again, the same thing with power. You know, God has made us to be kings and queens. He has destined us to be, to be rulers of the world. And yet we have started to compete and fight against each other and enslave each other, stepping on other people so that we can reach the top of the pile. This is the key area where Christ calls us to be transformed. The call to discipleship is not simply just believing in a doctrine. It's allowing that doctrine to radically transform every single part of who you are. And so we need to start to look deeply at the call of Jesus and see how it influences these three areas of our life. In the history of religious orders, people have always taken the three vows of poverty, chastity and obedience which directly correlates to these three areas of the human heart, of sex, money, and power. Not because it's trying to say that these three things are bad, but that rather these three things are so good that we need to be placed in an environment which trains us to become what we are actually made to be. How do we come to a place where the sexual desire is actually directed towards real life-giving love? How do we start to see our possessions in a way where it draws us closer to the Father who provides for us? How do we start to see authority in a whole different way and fight against our pride, fight against our ego, so that we can be truly humble and, you know, that idea of servant leadership, a leadership or an authority that brings life. Now, in the history of the church, there has been so much focus on religious living those, those vows and this sense that everyone else, just do your best. But really, you know, where we talk about the evangelical councils or the vows in the religious life, so many people have, have said that, that we need to find ways to encourage every Catholic to see these three things as being central to their whole journey of following Christ. You know, in a sense, if to be a follower of Christ means to give your life to him, to hand over your life and say that he is my saviour, this becomes practical when we start to give over our security, our sexuality, our freedom, and say, Lord, you are the Lord of my life. And I need you to be the saviour of my heart because it's in these three areas where I'm going to fall. This is, this is what it means to every day walk behind Jesus, to be his follower. And to allow his spirit to lift us up. So we are no longer just living an animal existence. But we are actually now living almost this divine life, this heavenly life that he has called us to be.